You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to detail our playoff power rankings, chat with Steve Tasker of CBS Sports and catch up with Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. And Brian, let's kick off the podcast today with our weekly conversation with NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the Rap Sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. Ian, always a pleasure. Let's start in Cincinnati. What changed over the last couple weeks amid reports that Marvin Lewis was preparing to step down? And yesterday we found out he got a two-year contract extension to remain the head coach of the Bengals. Well, my understanding was he was never preparing to step down. It was really just that the organization was ready to move on. And, you know, it certainly seemed like the players weren't really playing for him. And, uh, you know, I know as far as he charted his possible course, uh, and what he would do after he was coaching. I know front office, being a front office guy was something that you know he would consider. But a funny thing happened. The games didn't stop. So we got to see that you know the team did continue to play for him, had that dramatic win that ended up locking up the Bills' playoff berth. And um, you know he got with the owner, Mike Brown, and seemed to, to secure the ability to sign some free agents this coming offseason. And um, all of a sudden – he got some things he wanted, and he's back. Ian, let's go to another spot where a uh, coach will be grabbed. Uh, that's John Gruden coming from ESPN. I mean, there's been a lot of conversation about his time off and will he be able to do some of the things he did when he was in his prime of a coach, not the last part with Tampa, but being able to get this team back to the winning ways and also the part of him being maybe a, a owner of a football team. Give me your sentiments or your understanding of what's going on with all this for the package deal is concerned for John Gruden. Well, he's not going to be the owner of a football team. I know that's something that the team considered and sort of put out there, um, but that is not something that's going to happen. It's just going to be a lot of money. It's going to be a ton of money. Um, and, you know, Gruden has always been sort of the white whale in coaching, the guy who everyone wants but no one could really get. But, you know, it's really only been about the Raiders and the Bucks for him, the two places he's been. And, you know, once it wasn't going to happen with the Bucks, and, of course, there were talks, there were definitely talks, um, then it was really, is it going to happen with the Raiders? And, you know, probably in the last two or three weeks, it turned really the wrong way, and they went from an organization that was trying to, to figure it out and uh, could could – you know, could sort of uh, emerge from the rough season, you know, after making the playoffs and being everyone's darling. Uh, it ended up being pretty toxic there, and they turned to John Gruden. And, and finally, you know, especially when you consider he has a franchise quarterback there, um, he wanted to take it. Chatting with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. Ian, we've been discussing a lot of Hall of Fame conversation today. How do you view Carson Palmer as a Hall of Fame candidate Clearly an outstanding career. I don't think he's going to Canton, Ohio, but I'd love your perspective. Yeah, I, I would have be hard-pressed to think he's going to the Hall of Fame also. I mean, he's very good, so maybe he goes into the Hall of being pretty good. Um, long career, I, you know, I kind of wish I would have seen what would have happened had he not had that serious knee injury. Um, you know, then there's the Raiders stop, which was just a rough, really rough part of his career. Um, you know, that's just that, – that, that, that's the kind of thing that just did not really help anyone and then ended up resurrecting it late. But I think he ends up just being a good, 
quarterback who was there in the league for a long time. Also quite rich. Made $172 million during his time in the NFL. That's really not bad. Yeah, it's not bad at all. Give me, give me your take on the Jacksonville Jaguars. We know this team was really hot at one point in time. Of course, turnovers been a big stickler, let's just say, for Blake Bortles. But this team is still a team, I would say, it's hot going into the postseason where no one wants to play against them. Give me your take on what they need to do in order to be special in the postseason. Well, I think the main thing the Jaguars need to do is affect the quarterback. You know, that, that's, that's probably their best trait. It's that, um, you know, they are a team who can make any passer uncomfortable. And, you know, you start to look at the AFC and people say, oh, you know, well, the Ravens, um, you know, obviously the Ravens are, are a team that would be dangerous. Well, they're out. Oh, the Chargers, you know, they could get on and they're out. Nobody talks about that with the Jaguars. I'm not quite sure why, because they can take any quarterback off their game. Uh, it's just – you know, that's a weapon that in the playoffs is so effective when the officials let some more things go. It's more physical. You can hit a little more. You know, their ability uh, to take a quarterback out of everything he wants to do is important, and I think it's going to pay dividends for them in, uh, in the playoffs. Ian Rappaport of NFL Network is our guest on the NFL on Tune. And, Ian, last one for me. How much job security do you think Mike Malarkey has heading into his playoff game against the Kansas City Chiefs? Uh, probably not as much as he wants. Uh, you know, I think that's a situation where, um, it, it's going to be tough. I mean, if they lose, if they lose ugly, I would say he's, he's in some trouble. Uh, he's definitely in some trouble and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how much trouble, but, you know, they got a tough deal as far as timing. You know, a lot of these teams have already started. Um, I would expect a swift decision from them after the playoffs. Ian, great information as always. As we say goodbye, where is the Hall of Pretty Good located? Is that in Akron or Toledo, Ohio? <laughs> Dayton? I guess it would be Dayton. <laughs> it's a days in in Dayton. Thank you, Ian. We'll there chat with go. you soon. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. What better way to celebrate the new year than taking a look back at the best podcasts of 2017? From news and politics to true crime, comedy, and history favorites, we've rounded up our favorites and there's something for everyone. Shows included Dirty John, S-Town, My Favorite Murder, Homecoming, Pod Save America. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's welcome in former Bills receiver Steve Tasker of CBS Sports. Steve, thanks for taking the time to join us again on the program. We've heard so much over the years about the passion of the Bills fan base. Can you articulate what makes them so special in your experience, how it went for you over the years playing in upstate New York? Well, it, it, it's true. I mean, you can tell, uh, I go, you guys have probably heard about how the Bills showed their appreciation to Andy Dalton for throwing the late touchdown to send the Bills to, uh, to the playoffs. Uh, over $100,000 have been donated to his, his foundation as a response from Bills fans who donated $17 a piece or so to – to commemorate the 17 years they were out of the playoffs. It, j- it didn't surprise me too much when that word got out that that might happen. And uh, uh, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a different kind of atmosphere in Buffalo because uh, you guys probably know Buffalo is not really a retirement destination. So if you live in <laughs> Buffalo, it's because you were born here and raised here for the most part. And 
if you're born and raised here, everybody you know is a Bills fan, your family, your friends, your neighbors, everybody. And uh, it's part of the part of the fabric of the community. And uh, because of that, when good things happen, uh, the community really comes together. It's, uh, it's a pretty special place for that reason. And you would have to say the community, um, when it comes down to success, go all the way back to the times in which Jim Kelly and and all the great players like Thurman Thomas and Andre Reeds and those guys were there. You have to assume with this opportunity to go to the postseason, this brings all those memories back and also having the hope that maybe they can make another run to a championship. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, that, it, it's it's really it's, it, they've coined a new phrase here in Buffalo uh, called drought babies. And that means kids who are too young to remember the team going to the playoffs and who haven't experienced it yet after after 17 years. So uh, the drought babies have come to an end finally, and now they, they can kind of take part in what their parents and grandparents have been telling them for, for years uh, how great it is to be in the playoffs. It's it's pretty neat because it's the way it happened, as you guys know, where the Bills had to win and then get some help, and then the, the NFL moving the schedule so that all those games took place at the same time, and the Bills game got over, the Bills had done their part, and then everybody all across, every Bills fan all across the world was finding a place to find out about what happened in that game, and they all found out at the same moment, and it was pretty special. So, yeah, the, I don't think there's any illusions about the team being good enough to win a Super Bowl, but right now everybody's really, really enjoying the fact that they've made it to the tournament. Chatting with Steve Tasker, CBS Sports. Steve, how do you view how the Bills have handled Tyrod Taylor? He took the $10 million pay cut in the offseason to stay with the club, and then, of course, the team benched him briefly going with Nathan Peterman. It was a disaster in that road game against the Chargers. Yeah, I think if you look at what happened during that, it was, you know, outside Buffalo, there was a lot of criticism for it. And as it turned out, it was probably justly uh, justly so. But what happened to get them to a 5-2 and two record had nothing to do with um, – you know, with the offense, it was all about the defense churning out turnovers. And the offense, while one thing that Tyrod Taylor does as well as any quarterback in the league is not turn it over. And at that point of the season, they decided they needed more out of that position and tried to go with Nate Peterman. And the simple fact of the matter is, if Nathan Peterman had done anything except absolutely fall on his face, he might still be the quarterback of that team. But as it was, he did fall on his face. They couldn't leave him in there, and Tyrod Taylor came in. And there's been a handful of games when Tyrod Taylor hasn't been able to throw for over 100 yards let alone 300, uh, let alone 200. It's just been a constant battle. He's he's good at not turning it over. They seem to churn out first downs. LaShawn McCoy has been a, f- a phenomenal asset and really the reason why the team has been able to hang in games. He's in the lead back and so versatile. Uh, with him out, that really hamstrings their offense. But, but make no mistake, they struggle to throw the football at all. And even in doing so, the rest of the roster is good enough to get them in the playoffs. But when you look at how he has struggled in a sense of being able to put up the big numbers, because that's what we're talking about, putting up the big numbers, they've still been able to win. And sometimes when you look at from a scheme standpoint defensively, you sometimes need those methodical drives where sometimes you're just getting field goals to maybe mask some of those issues you have on a defensive side of the football because if you're consistently going one, two, three and out by trying to throw the football too much, then you really expose your team on so many levels. That's what I get from a Tyrod Taylor as opposed to assuming that Nathan Peterman could have come in and gotten it done. Yeah, and it's it's pretty good point because what happens is teams come in and they just expect the team to be able to do certain things. And as a result, early on in these football games, particularly in the last six weeks of the season, the Bills would come out 
drive down the football field and really look sharp. And then as the teams uh, get a feel for what they can and can't do, they will start taking more and more chances. And you know, then it's when it's only then when they you know they realize. Uh, that they can do certain things defensively against the Bills and not really pay a penalty for it, that the game kind of evens out. But when when these defenses play the Bills honest, uh, they're tough to beat. Tyrod Taylor does make first downs. He turns them out either with his feet. He's able to throw the football short to guys. LaShawn McCoy is a key ingredient to that. Charles Clay is a key ingredient to that. And now Kelvin Benjamin has started to help a little bit, but really – uh, unless they get over the top on the passing plays, these throws are 10 yards or shorter. And when teams start to get a confident that they're not going to get beat over the top unless they, uh, unless they lose, uh, lose discipline, you know, they start packing in around the line of scrimmage and it becomes more and more difficult for, for Buffalo to move the, the, the football. But really, uh, you're right. Tyrod Taylor does some real things really well, but there are some things that, this, that are just taken right out of the playbook. And defenses come to realize that late in ballgames. Steve Tasker, CBS Sports, is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Steve, we know that Jacksonville has an opportunistic defense, number one in the league in scoring defensive touchdowns, but how much help could Buffalo get from the generosity of Blake Bortles, five more interceptions the last two weeks to cap the regular season? Yeah, and I think that's a big question mark because there's no question the Bills are good enough with their defense. They've shown they can play and beat anybody because their defense, particularly the Bills' secondary, is stellar. If E.J. Gaines is able to go at cornerback with the two healthy cornerbacks in Tredavious White, who's really having a rookie MVP, a rookie uh, MVP, defensive MVP season, uh, those two corners, E.J. Gaines and, and Tredavious White, are sensational. And Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde have absolutely transformed the back end of the Bills' defense. All four guys are new this year, and they have churned out interceptions. Both safeties have five interceptions. Uh, no two safeties in the league combined for more interceptions. Uh, the corners are getting doing awesome job at getting passes defensed. Their secondary is really, really good, and that could cause problems for Blake Bortles. If he throws it up or doesn't isn't sure about where he's going with the football, it will be a turnover. Uh, one thing that the Jaguars do have going for them, Buffalo Bills' pass rush is not as good as the Jaguars. That's saying something because the Jaguars have the best pass rush in the league, but the Bills don't, uh, and it's not even close. So if the Bills can conjure up some pressure and force Bortles to throw into that that really good secondary, then this game could get could get out of hand, and the Bills could jump out to a lead and and make it make it work for them. That's the real key ingredient, though. The Bills' secondary is the engine that runs their defense. When it comes down to the Bills' defense, Coach Frazier's defense early in the year, they were second to none. I think they were plus 10 in turnover ratio, uh, which, is, which was pretty good at that time. I think right now they're at plus nine. Uh, but tell me, what happened to their defense when it was a defense that was getting turnover, scoring touchdowns? And as of lately, it seems as if they kind of maybe found a dead spot somewhere in there to the point where they kind of flattened out because that defense was just as good early on as we've seen this this Jacksonville defense be all season. Yeah, you're exactly right. What happened was it was it was the early season turnovers that did it. Uh, plus, early in the season, uh, teams didn't really know about the Bills' offense like they do now. The Bills would churn out uh, 20, 25 points a game, and get a, and their defense was playing extremely well. Plus, getting those turnovers, and teams would play a little bit desperate to beat them. 
um, and when they got to a 5-2 and two record, it was really surprising because the Bills weren't playing very well offensively. But at one point, I think they were plus 17 at, ter- at turnovers. Right. And now, as you mentioned, uh, it's, it's flattened out to where they're, they're good but not great like they once were. That, that defense and their ability to get turnovers really fueled their, their run to the playoffs. Even though they tapered off in the second half of the year, they were so good early on that they uh, they gave them a chance to find themselves. They made some tweaks in their run game on offense at the bye week, got a little more production out of that, and now they can run the football respectably against any front that you can throw at them. Um, and their defense still continues to play well and get turnovers once in a while. So that's really the, who the Bills are. Uh, they play good, solid, disciplined defense. They sprinkle in some turnovers. Their offense runs the football and never turns it over, and it has fueled them to a point where they're 9-7 and seven and backed into the playoffs. Steve, let's wrap it up with a big picture in the AFC. How surprised would you be if we don't get the rematch of the Steelers and the Patriots again in the AFC title game? Yeah, I'd be really surprised. Uh, those two teams are sitting now with a week off, uh, a much-needed week off uh, to get rest and healed up. Um, I think this is a, a chance for them to, to you know, they're, I think we're on a, de- a, head, a collision course uh, in Foxborough to see the Steelers go in there. I think that'll be the D game. I can't see Kansas City, uh, Tennessee, Buffalo, or Jacksonville beating either one of those teams on the road uh, unless they absolutely fall flat on their face or if, like you say, they, they, they turn the ball over. So I think, I think that's it. I think they're the teams to beat, and I think – uh, I think uh, New England is probably going to get back to the Super Bowl, and it'll be interesting to see who they face. But I think Pittsburgh's the only team with a shot to go into Foxborough and win. Steve, we always enjoy having you on the program. Thanks for giving us a few minutes again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. You can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows, like Haunted Places by Parcast. Every episode, I take you to the scariest haunted places on Earth. Hollywood and Crime by Wondering. We also tested the purse for fingerprints. Nothing viable there either. And Uncivil by Gimlet. Before they're available anywhere else. Where we ransack America's past and discover the that history is only kind to those who write it. Search First Play Podcast and listen early. Listen often. Listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to detail the playoff teams we are more than sure are better than the rest. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. No need to filibuster. We can be succinct. Plus, I'm battling a bit of a chest cold, so the yelling will not have the same resonance as the regular season. But we've got our eyes on the prize because it's the postseason. My number five team, we're going to ram it. Yeah, ram it. L.A. Rams will beat the Falcons coming up on Saturday. Todd Gurley is going to be the runner-up when we get the final MVP tabulation. He's going to lose the award to Tom Brady, but he has been sensational. I take you back to last year. Gurley did not have a single 100-yard rushing game this year, better than 2,000 yards from scrimmage. My only question about the Rams comes down to 
Their lack of postseason experience, only six players on the roster, have ever competed in the postseason. Number four, I have revised my mindset. I'm not a flip-flopper. I'm just open-minded when it comes to analysis of the Saints. Don't think necessarily they are as comprehensive as other teams that are in front of them. Still, a lot to like, clearly, building on their seven-win season of a year ago to win the division crown. You know about the one-two punch when it comes to Pro Bowl running backs and Kamaran Ingram. Everything's changed defensively because they drafted well, led by Defensive Rookie of the Year, Marshawn Lattimore, and Kamara's going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year honors, Drew Brees. On his way to the Hall of Fame, they're going to do what rarely occurs. They're going to beat Carolina for the third time in a single season coming up this weekend in New Orleans. Number three, Minnesota. They are the most complete team in all of football. The defense, top five and most important metrics. So many playmakers to utilize. I have reservations about Case Keenum, but he cannot throw an interception this week because he's on a bye. Number two, Steelers. First time they've had a playoff bye dating back to 2010. They need the additional week of rest for Antonio Brown to get fully healthy coming back from the calf injury. Clearly, the defense is missing. Ryan Shazier, but I've seen improvement in the secondary with the return of Joe Hayden. Pittsburgh will have a great chance of going to New England and beating my number one team when we get to the AFC title game. Patriots enjoying the bye. Yeah, Tom Brady limped down the stretch. Five interceptions in the month of December, but no picks in the regular season finale. The win over the Jets. Plus, if you've been paying attention... The emergence of Deion Lewis critical. It's been plug and play over the years of the running back position, but Lewis has been impactful, capping the regular season. Recapping quickly, Rams 5, Saints 4, Vikings 3, Steelers 2, Patriots 1, back to you. You had your Saints at number 4 and they just lost to Tampa, huh? Oh, that's a hot take. That was regular season, pal. <laughs> postseason that, huh? analysis. Yeah, okay. And they're struggling going into the postseason. They won the division, but this is hey, your time hey, to shine. Okay, they backed into the door. No problem. I, I mean, I get it. Yeah, that's the guy. I, I get it. Don't worry about it. But here it is. This is a hot take. <laughs> it doesn't change for me when it comes to my top five. My number five team, I'm going with the L.A. Rams. I think Todd Gurley being able to produce over 2,000 yards, not even finishing the season in the very last game because Coach Sean McVay wants to rest his players, to give them a chance to get that experience of being in the postseason healthy as opposed to potentially gimpy. I think the experience of Wade Phillips, I think, truly comes on and help this football team out. Here's a coach that's been to many uh, playoffs. He actually went to Super Bowl 50, uh, being a defensive coordinator for the Denver Broncos. I think he's going to lend his collective experience to give to these players to make them understand it's not the hype of the postseason that can cause you to lose. It's not taking care of your business that can cause is what can cause you to lose. And I think this team is going to be dialed in and prepared for whoever it may be coming into the Coliseum. I like Sean McVay with this offense and capabilities of, of, of drawing up some plays that's a little different to create diversions. That's what the offense is about. Defense, just making some stops. Bend but don't break. I think Wade Phillips, he actually goes into the bag of tricks and make this defense look as good as they probably look all season. So I'll put 
put the Rams at number five. My number four team, I'm going with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, we had an opportunity to see Nick Foles play in his last game going four of 11, and all of a sudden Doug Peter, Peter and Peterson excuse me, end up pulling him out because they figured they didn't need to see any more of that because it's been bad for Nick Foles over the past few weeks in understanding that, hey, it's about what we need to do moving forward. But I don't think that makes me nervous because I had him at four last week. I'm going to leave him there still because I think he's going to be the Achilles heel of all the success that this team has had. If there is one of a glitch in the system when it comes down to how he plays because Carson Wentz is not in for obvious reasons. And my number three team, I'm going with black and yellow in the Pittsburgh Steelers as they move forward without Antonio Brown. I'm wondering if they're going to have to end up playing against the Jacksonville Jaguars, which I think will be a very scary game, even though we may have had the opportunity to listen to Ben Roethlisberger mention things like he's going to be okay. That's the team that he wants to play against when I feel in my heart after throwing five interceptions. That may be the team that they don't want to see, especially without Antonio Brown. I will say that at number three. And at number two, my guys, can I get the horn, please? Can I get a little action with the horn, please? The team that is considered back in the day as the purple people leaders. This guy in Case Keenum. Case Keenum in the Minnesota Vikings, whoever they have come into their stadium, into their dome. They're going to have the opportunity to be able to win that game and host the NFC Championship game inside of the Dome that the Super Bowl will be played in. And that's where I'm looking forward to seeing this team playing in the NFC Championship game. I have that team as my number two team. And the number one team, the guy that came from Pittsburgh that ended up getting five tackles, he got two sacks, and he had one forced fumble in James Harrison actually having an opportunity to be with Dart Vader and Bill Belichick and this team being the oldest guy on it over Tom Brady. The New England Patriots. I like that team at number one because they are making the most noise when it matters most. And that's the team that I have at one. So my number five is the Rams. My number four is the Philadelphia Eagles. My number two, my number three, excuse me, is the black and yellow. My number two is Case Keenum in the Minnesota Vikings. And number one, it is. Obviously, we all know this. It's the New England Patriots and Darth Vader and Bill Belichick. Back to you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. It's a new year and time for you to explore new podcasts on TuneIn. Bring in 2018 with exciting new podcast episodes for the whole family like Story Pirates, This Podcast Has Fleas, Tumble Science for Kids, The Alien Adventures of Finn Caspian, and so many more. Start your new year with these podcasts and more. Just search podcasts on TuneIn today. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's spotlight the reigning world champions from New England with Andy Hart of Patriots.com Radio. Andy, thanks for taking the time. Let's talk about the coaching carousel. In your view, is there a real chance the Patriots will lose both of their coordinators, Josh McDaniels and Matt Patricia, to head coaching opportunities? And what would the impact then be for next season? Yeah, I do think there's a real chance. They've both interviewed the last couple years and and ended up staying. And I even thought last year there was a decent chance. And I think they were pretty lucky to keep the staff together. Um, You know, they're, they're involved in three or four interviews each. I just think this is probably the time. And it's a huge loss. 
I mean, you look at the way they've done it over the years. Now, Belichick's been through this before. It's funny because history's sort of repeating itself. The, the last time the Patriots uh, won back-to-back Super Bowls and three out of four, it was after that year that both Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cornell left. Um, and Belichick was able to sort of spread himself thin and promote from within. He had Eric Mangini and he had Josh McDaniels and, you know, cobbled it together. Um, now, that was a long time ago. That was 12, 13 years ago. Does the 66-year-old Belichick, you know, have the ability to still do that because he likes to promote from within? I mean, we've talked about maybe this is the time when he goes outside the organization and brings somebody in, a friendly face, whether – you know, it could be Brian Dable trying to bring him back from, from Alabama where he's under Nick Saban right now to be the offense coordinator or his buddy Greg Schiano. You know, could he try to bring him in to run the defense? Because otherwise there are internal candidates, but you're talking about a lot of turnover and a lot of faith in a couple um, inexperienced guys when you turn it over on both sides of the ball. And as I said, Belichick can only be in so many places at once. So is he going to be an extra you know, set of eyes and ears in every offensive meeting or every defensive meeting? Because I, I don't know that he can do both. So um, I, I think it would, be, it would be a great challenge for him. And the question is, would he embrace that as you know, the next big challenge in his career? Or if you're a Patriots fan, is there any fear that he says, you know what, if everybody else is leaving, maybe I'm out too. And you know, that would be the biggest fear for Patriots fans. And there's been a few issues on this defensive side of the football that I'm more than sure you can raise a multitude of points. Uh, But one that I saw stick out now that you have James Harrison uh, going back and watching some film is just the point of attack on the edge by the defensive ends and being able to not allow runners to be able to get on the edge and outrun some of the pursuit as opposed to leaving it within the tackles. You saw James Harrison get, what, five tackles, two, uh, two sacks, and one forced fumble. Do you think that answer for those issues is there with James Harrison with him being on the team in that performance you saw him have against the Jets? You know, I think that's the hope is that's part of the solution because you're right. The edge of the defense has been putrid all year. Um, opponents were averaging upwards of 4.9 yards per carry, and the bulk of that was coming on the edge. They actually had their best um, defensive day in terms of run defense in the finale against the Jets where – they put forth a performance I didn't think they were capable of at this point. Um, you know, holding the Jets to 40 yards rushing, 24 came on one Powell run, which was, yes, off the edge, <laughs> off the left tackle. Um, you know, I, I, we saw that Harrison has something left. I don't know how much they can lean on him and expect him to be a savior to set the edge on that run defense. Um, but, you know, I, I actually thought his best play of the game, they had him dropping into coverage. Uh, the Jets threw it to Robbie Anderson, who's an explosive receiver, was third and five, and Harrison just came up, made a fourth, uh, form tackle for a two-yard gain punt. Um, that showed me he has something left in the tank. How much, we'll find out in the coming weeks. I also think they'll benefit from Kyle Van Oy returning from injury. He played in the finale against the Jets. They, I think he only had 12 or 15 snaps after missing three weeks with a calf injury. I think they're trying to nurse him back, but you know you got the bye week here. If you have Harrison playing some and Van Oy back in his position on the edge, that should really help that defense because you're right, the, the run defense up the middle hasn't been bad. Um, Malcolm Brown's been good when he's been healthy. Lawrence Guy had a good game, and he's been you know, pretty good all year, and Allen Branch when he's healthy. So um, the edge of that defensive front, to me, is what you would point to as maybe the Achilles heel. You know, is, is there a team, whether it's you know, Kareem Hunt and the Chiefs, uh, Fournette and the Jaguars that can just run on the edge, run, 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 and control the game because you can't stop the outside runs. After you watch last week's game with Harrison and Van Oy coming back, I think as a Patriots fan, you probably feel 
a little bit better about the possibility of them being good enough in that area. We are chatting with Andy Hart, Patriots.com Radio, Patriots team channel here on TuneIn. Andy, Tom Brady took a few more shots in the regular season finale on Sunday. I'm not looking for a letter grade, but how well do you think the offensive line has performed this season? They've had their ups and downs. Um, You know, they've dealt with some injuries, uh, most notably right tackle where they've started three different guys. Um, You know, I I think Shaq Mason, the right guard, has been really good. He's been their best offensive lineman. Um, All the other guys have struggled at various points. Um, You know, Nate Solders, their former first-round pick at left tackle, he's been okay, but seems like at least once a game he gets beaten badly by somebody. Um, And I would say the interior guys, Tooney at left guard and Andrews at center have had their struggles. So he got hit a lot early in the year. I think it's been better down the stretch. Um, I would say they've probably been, you know, a a B, B minus caliber offensive line. But, you know, the, the reality is the bulk of Brady's career, he hasn't had great lines. He's made the lines look better by getting rid of the ball quickly, the timeliness of the passing offense. And I think that's what you look to in the postseason is the idea that you're probably going to have Chris Hogan back. You're probably going to have James White back. You know, Gronk is going to be a bigger part of the passing game. Um, And so you're going to have Brady a little more comfortable with the targets and maybe a little more comfortable with how quickly he gets rid of the ball. And that usually makes that offensive line look better than, than maybe it really is. We know Tom Brady leads the league when it comes to passing yardage, and we know the production on the field is has been as consistent as it's been over some time. Just a little different, of course. But do you see him being in competition with another player in the National Football League for the MVP award? You know, I, I think his little dip here down the stretch has opened the door to this discussion. Um, and certainly Gurley has had a great year for the Rams as a running back. Um, I still think Brady is the guy that wins it. First of all, I think I've told you, I think it's a quarterback award. To me, that's the most important position on the field, hardest job on the field. There's so much on that guy's plate. So I think you start the year assuming a quarterback, the best quarterback's probably going to win the MVP. Um, for a running back to win it, um, like a Todd Gurley, you know, I think he needs to be historic. You know, I think he needs to rush for 28 or 30 touchdowns, you know, break records, rush for 2,000 yards. He's been great, and he's been a dual threat. He's caught the ball. And, and run the ball effectively and scored a lot of touchdowns both ways, big plays. Um, I just I don't think he's been good enough to win that award. It's not going to be, you know, I, I think Brady won a unanimous MVP back in 11 maybe, and it's certainly not going to be in that area. I think it's going to be divided. I think Carson Wentz will still get some votes, you know, even though he missed the last month uh, to an injury because he was my guy. He was the guy I would have said as the MVP. You know, I know Patriots fans get mad when I say that. I thought Wentz was was carrying that team and doing so many things. But um, with him missing time to the injury here, I, I think Brady wins it, and he should. I mean, he's top five and I believe, virtually every category, third in rating, as you said, leads the, the league in yards. Um, he's had a phenomenal overall season. The only thing is he's sort of faded down the stretch here when, when maybe it's freshest in voters' minds. But I still think if you look at the 16-game schedule, he's the MVP of the number one seed defending champions, odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl. He, he should win it. Andy, as always, we appreciate the insights. As we say goodbye, how do you navigate the bye week as a broadcaster? Rest is important, more cough drops. What's your mindset <laughs> heading into the divisional round of the playoffs? Well, yeah, you, first of all, you got to get healthy, right? Mm. This time of year, everybody's got the sniffles. And, you know, you can't make the club from the tub, as they say. you got to get healthy. Um, it's going to be tough, though. we got a snow day coming tomorrow. we got about 15 inches coming. I know my kids are going to want to go sledding, but 
you know, you got to stay healthy, and then and then you sit back and you do some of that TV scouting that Belichick always talks about. You watch all the wild card games and and get ready to go for next week. Remember, take it one sentence at a time, but give it one hundred and ten percent. Okay. That's right. Just trying to help the team any way I can. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. Good luck with the storm, and we'll chat with you next week. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the weekend. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.